Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Forensic Sherlock and More. I'm your host, Annabelle. And I'm your other host, Kayla. And today we will be exploring firearms and the two Sherlock short stories, The Adventure of the Empty House and The Adventure of the Raygate Squires. So this topic, which is forensics ballistics, is the study of the motion, the angular movement, and the effects of projectiles, which includes both firearms and explosive devices. Oh, please tell me this doesn't involve a lot of physics. That literally sounds like our projectile motion test. Fortunately, I am not talking about physics. Yes, score. Unfortunately, we are not talking about explosive devices. Aww. Because these stories focus on firearms, so they would focus on bullets and casings at crime scenes. Still cool. So how are guns used in these short stories? So, first, in The Adventure of the Empty House, Sebastian Moran attempts to kill Sherlock with an air gun, but Sherlock connects him to an earlier murder after his failed attempt at killing Sherlock, based on the type of bullet and how it changed upon impact when the bullets hit a hard wall. In The Adventure of the Raygate Squires, a father and a son frame a murder victim as a self-defense casualty, which Sherlock solves by observing the lack of gunpowder that is on the victim. Ooh, fancy. So we haven't talked about shooting before. We've covered poisoning and a bunch of other stuff, but like we haven't really talked about shooting. So what are the initial steps taken by forensic technicians today when a shooting occurs? So the first task of investigators is to determine how many shots were fired during the shooting. And this is determined if the murder weapon is present, they can find the max number of bullets fired from the remaining cartridges, or they can count the bullets at the crime scene and the casings left behind. The next step is to find the bullets, which if they're in the victim by x-ray or if they're in a crime scene through a search. And then comes the fun part of analyzing the bullets, the cases, the residue, and the weapons in the lab. Fun fact, James Monroe actually had just like a bullet in his shoulder for the rest of his life. He got shot once and just stayed there. Fun. Probably very painful too. But back to Sherlock. So what role do firearms play in the empty house and the Rygate Squires? So in the empty house, Sebastian Moran is consistent with his firearm and bullets. He always uses an air gun with soft lead revolver bullets. So this allows Sherlock to connect him to previous murders after he tries to assassinate him because he notices that the specialized lead bullets that Sebastian Moran uses flatten out with a distinct pattern when they hit the wall. In between the two crimes, Sherlock's attempted assassination and the previous murder, the bullets both had the same flattened appearance, meaning that both of these bullets were fired with the same type of gun. Okay, so obviously some of that must be what investigators use today. Like, some of that must be consistent, right? Yes. So, fun fact, Conan Doyle was correct when he wrote about lead bullets flattening out when they hit a wall because they do indeed get squashed when they hit a hard target. Yeah, like, you see that in, like, the crime shows where, like, they have the little mini jars that have, like, the flattened bullets. I always wondered why, but that makes sense. So... Sherlock was spot on by examining characteristics of the bullets after they are fired to determine that they were both shot with the same type of gun. Okay, so just a thought. Sherlock, I feel like, goes a lot on just, like, circumstantial evidence and stuff. Like, half of the stuff he's figuring out on the fly. No offense, he'd probably need more evidence, but then again, it's Sherlock, so... We don't question it. It was also the 1800s, so ballistics wasn't as prominent in the forensic science field. Also true. Honestly, if it looked like it came from your gun, it probably was from your gun in those days. So, expanding into today, how does this work, Annabelle? 
So today this has expanded a lot because now we understand what marks come from which parts of the gun. So an example of this are striations, which are marks from tiny imperfections inside the gun's barrel. And with the use of a comparison microscope, ballistic analysts can confirm that bullets with the same striations came from the same gun. Oh, that sounds like a CSI type thing. So like I know CSI Miami at least typically shows like those procedures where like they're looking under a microscope and comparing a bunch of bullets and then like matching with the computer. I mean, obviously TV shows are like very, very different from reality, but like same idea. The concept is still there. So another example of marks from guns is rifling, which is slightly different. It's marks from spiral grooves inside of a barrel formed from spinning the bullet to stabilize it. And this action duplicates the spacing, the size, the angle, and the direction of the grooves inside the barrel onto the bullet when it is fired. So this allows for a match between bullets and a specific gun. The fire imprint also presses a distinctive dent into the metal cover, which allows for bullets to be matched to the same firing pin. And these scratches and marks reveal to modern ballistic analysts the firearm used and connects bullets to specific weapons, which is very similar to Sherlock's observational process of connecting two bullets to the same gun, and in his case, the same shooter. No, yeah, so... What about like a national database? Like do they ha- like they have AFIS for fingerprints? So do they have like a version of AFIS for firearms? So yes, they have the National Integrated Ballistic Information Network, which is a database of bullets and casings which allows for connections to be discovered between otherwise unconnected or unsolved cases. And yeah, I'm assuming Sherlock didn't have Nibbin. Yeah. He did not. Is that how you pronounce it? No, um, it's an it's an acronym, N-I-B-I-N. No, I mean, yeah, but I don't know. I just, acronyms kind of freak me out when they look weird. Like, how do you pronounce them? People can take it Nibin? so many different ways. Nibin? 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 <laughs> I don't know. I'm having a hard time pronouncing Rygate. Like, is it Rygate? Raygate? Regate? I don't know. I, I don't know. I try to use Google Translate to give me pronunciations. This is more, this is even more concerning than our conversation about the word medical examiner. (laughs) It's a pathologist. Okay. Okay, so the point is Sherlock did not have a nationalized or even localized database for guns. He just sort of went with, hey, two bullets look the same. Boom. You killed him. His logic was very, very, it was straightforward. I admire it, but I guess if, (laughs) God forbid, Sebastian Moran had not actually committed the crime, like that would have been. Anyway, an example of using the Nibin, an example of using this national database was in 2018, a man was pulled over and a gun was found in his car, which was ran through the system and matched bullets used in numerous robberies in 2015. So this was a successful capture of a criminal that would have otherwise gone uncaught without the use of the national database. Oh, yeah, and this happens, like, in crime show episodes all the time. Like, NCIS has, like, a way of somehow connecting, like, serial killers or people committing crimes across a few years' time by, like, looking at, like, bullets and then comparing them to stuff from, like, their national database and seeing, oh, like, five years ago, a murder was committed with this exact weapon. And every once in a while, it'll be a really cool case that you kind of mentioned before, Annabelle, where it's, like, different people using the same gun. And so, now we get to transition to the Rygate slash Raygate Squires. 
Okay, so the Raygate Squires, the main evidence that Sherlock uses related to firearms is the absence of primary gunshot residue on the victim's body. And so in the story, the father and the son state that their coachman attacked a burglar to defend the house and was shot dead in the process of a struggle. It is important to note that this means that the suitor and the victim, which was the coachman, were in close contact when the gun was fired. Sherlock's reasoning in the story is backed up by current research because when shots are fired at short range, the entry wounds are ringed with soot. So the appearance or lack thereof of a ring can give information about the range for firearms. Yeah, exactly. Like in Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile, which was like early-ish to mid-1900s, so still not even that far along technologically speaking, when Lynette Ridgway, who is the girl who's found dead, is she's found dead in her cabin. There is like a black ring surrounding the entry wound at her temple and is later discovered she was shot at close range when the murderers confessed. And I'll leave it all to you to actually read the book if you want to find out who murdered Lynette Ridgway. Well, you said murderers, so does that mean plural? It's a very confusing story. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Exactly. Okay, so in the story, the Raygate Squires, uh, there is no residue found at the entry wound, which contradicts the earlier statement that the coachman died in a close contact struggle to defend the house from a burglar because the lack of gunshot residue signifies that the shot was fired from farther away, meaning that the father and son were lying and they are trying to cover up a murder. Oh, gee, I mean, your coachman somehow ends up dead. Like... What did you think was going to happen? Okay, well, anyway, today suspects are also examined for gunshot residue because they can have it on their hands from firing a weapon. For example, substances like gun oil and metal are transferred to the suitor's fingers when they load a magazine for a gun. Oh, yeah, and, like, when even when you, like, shoot the gun, like, I'm guessing gunshot residue is still present there. Like, obviously, in NCIS, they have, like, their movie magic. They'll swab someone's hand literally for two seconds, put it in some solution, and the swab will turn blue in the middle of the interrogation. But the concept of testing for GSR is the same. And so what role does this play, Annabelle? So looking for gunshot residue plays a key role in determining suicide versus homicide because absence of the residue on the hands of a victim suggests homicide, not suicide. And there are often cases where a murder is concealed as a suicide, but it is discovered that it was actually a homicide because of the lack of gunshot residue on the victim's hand. Because you cannot shoot yourself in the head without physically touching a gun. That makes sense. I mean, even if you wear gloves, it'd still be there. So, that is a lot of stuff about guns. Like, honestly, it's not just, like, you shoot somebody. It's, like, there's a bunch of stuff. So, don't commit crimes, kids. Yeah, firearms is a really unique subject. There are so many ways to connect bullets with guns, with people, with previous crimes, with current crimes, with ongoing cases, with unsolved cases, with closed cases. Honestly, yeah. Like, just the way that we've... Just what we've covered in, like, this short episode... It seems like you can, it practically is impossible to get away with a crime via shooting because you can either, the gun will turn up in a database, it'll be connected to some other crime, they'll be able to at least narrow it down to maybe a type of weapon or the caliber of the bullet and stuff like that. But yeah, it is, this was a very interesting topic. Yeah, well, that does it for us on Forensic Sherlock and More. Bye! Hope to see you next time and thank you for listening.